And welcome once again to the AFA podcast, the official podcast for animationforadults.com. Thank you so much for tuning in for this, our 96th episode. We are inching ever closer to that 100th episode. So any of our listeners who would like to give their two cents on what they'd like to see from us for our 100th episode, you know, feel free to go to any one of our social medias, which we will go through by the end of this episode. So if you want to give your thoughts on what you'd like to see from us for that very special event, we'd love to hear from you. But, uh, Hosting today for uh, the, I'm going, I completely botched that up. <clears throat> uh, my name is Rachel and I'm going to be the host of today's episode where we are going to be covering the latest release from Studio Ponoc, their very first feature film, and that is Mary and the Witch's Flower. And joining me today for today's podcast is Chris. Hello. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, we're also joined today by Dan. Hey, Dan. Hi, Rachel. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Good to have you back on the show. And also, we have someone new joining us, and that would be the very lovely Nina Bolton. Hello, Nina. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Thank you for so much for joining us. Um, since you, this is your first time on our, on our podcast, we wanted to see, give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of give them some background on yourself and what you do and your interest in animation. All right. So uh, I'm Nina again. I work for Animation Nights New York. Um, You might recognize my voice if you've listened to our animator interview series. I've been conducting the last few uh, episodes of that. Um, I also worked as an event coordinator for our last Best of Fest event. So that was a super great opportunity for me. I used to have my own show, my own podcast that was pretty similar to this one, actually, a couple years back. So I have a lot of experience talking about cartoons. And it's just a great passion of mine, and I'm really grateful to be back in the saddle and joining a new team of people. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we're going to kick off, as we said, we're going to be discussing Mary and the Witch's Flower uh, as our main topic today, but we are going to cover a few bits of uh, news coming down the pipeline that we feel would be good to get the little discussion on. And one of the biggest ones is going to is always the Academy Awards discussion. They just a they just announced the nominees for the Best Animated uh, Feature Film category, and those are Pixar's Coco, Loving Vincent, The Breadwinner, The Car- Wonderful Cartoon Saloon, Boss Baby, and Ferdinand. It is a interesting lineup of films. We are uh, I know on a previous uh, off the uh, air discussion. We've uh, talked a little bit about it, and we were very happy to see that both Loving Vincent and The Breadwinner have uh, made it into the lineup. But it's also, it's a very, and even though Co- we're pretty sure Coco as the Pixar uh, choice is going to be pretty much guaranteed to win, we're still happy to see that these uh, the selection be a little bit more varied this year. It, the thing is that this was the year when the new uh, rule changes came into effect. Um, and, yeah. and we were worried that it would make a big impact and we might not see independent films in the list anymore. So my reaction, to be honest, 
is one of relief. And I'm really <laughs> pleased to see that uh, Breadwinner and Loving Vincent made the cut. Because uh, we've had like two independent features for the past few years. And the rest have been the standard Hollywood stuff. And so I'm really pleased to see that they're there. And I haven't actually seen Loving Vincent, but um, I've seen and loved The Breadwinner. And I would really love it if it won, (laughs) (laughs) even though it probably won't. Um, But all I'm hearing or seeing on the internet is, oh, my God, I can't believe the boss baby got nominated. And it's like... I mean, it is odd. It's like, this you year's, can't pretend it's not. It's this year's kicking... It's like this year's um, uh, target for everyone going, oh, I can't believe that got nominated. Uh, it, there's normally like one... There's like a poorly reviewed blockbuster that's been nominated in one of the technical categories, like Suicide Squad last year was in, in uh, makeup or something. And everyone's like, oh, I can't believe the su- that Suicide Squad's been nominated for an Oscar. This year, it's the Boss Baby. It's the um, main target. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I can't. I can't judge. To be fair, uh, I have. I did judge before I saw it that I thought it looked rubbish, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, first impressions are hard. Are a hard thing to get over. It's. 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 You know. That's. It's. It's hard to ignore. But. Yeah, it's, it's, it could be one of those things where we first looked at the Storks trailer and it's like, well, weren't too impressed by it, but then we both watched it and it's like, oh, this is actually really super funny. Yeah, Storks is, was great. Um, but Ferdinand kind of looks uninspiring too, but yeah, the breadwinner's there. <clears throat> the breadwinner's there. Yay, three times <laughs> Oscars for three triple Oscar nominees, Cartoon Saloon. How amazing is that? That is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that's up. that's that is awesome. I'm I'm a little bit. I it's kind of pointless to say because it's had like no awards recognition. But I'm a little bit sorry that uh, Captain Underpants uh, missed oh. out. Oh, yeah. Because I loved I loved that, I loved that, that movie. That was a really solid film. It really was, and it was kind of overlooked in in almost every sense. I think. Um, but you know, like. Like you were saying, Chris, the whole boss baby backlash is very strange because if you go back through the years, you can see Shark Shark Tale, Tale, Shrek (laughs) 2, you know, lots of, you know, quite down the line, um, uh, you know, big studio releases had had Oscar nominations. I suppose the argument is that there were many films... There were there were less animated features coming out when Shark Tale got nominated. Yeah, I think that was mm-hmm. part of it. Um, there might have only been like four, four <laughs> ma- major released animated features in that year. Um, whereas this this time there's like twenty or something, and then there's all the independent features as well. And uh, you get the av- you get the annual uh, report on Anime News Network. No anime films nominated for an Oscar. What a surprise. Um, it, it reminds me of this, uh, this sketch. I think it was probably Monty Python where they did, uh, they did, they kept going through news reports. And it was news for hamsters. And it'd be like, there's been a plane crash in somewhere and no hamsters were involved. And, it'd go, <laughs> and then it'd go, go through it with something else. Um, and that just reminded me of that a bit. It's like, 
I mean, I feel like the last few years there's been a couple, there's been anime nominations. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. I, I do think it's odd because it's usually been at least one nomination, even if it doesn't win anything, because like, we never yeah. expect it to win. But it's always Studio Ghibli, I think. Yeah. Is it? I think so. Usually. Oh, yeah. I'm getting confused there because the Red Turtle was. That's literally Ghibli. Yeah. Um, and uh, the last one before that was um, when Mindy was there. That's really weird. I had a strange. I had the weirdest feeling that your name was nominated. Nope. Same it, here, but I it, don't think it's it accurate. I mean, it was like you know they they fulfilled the requirements to try to be nominated. Mm-hmm. A couple films did, but it, it wasn't nominated. I wonder if your name would have been nominated if so. it was a G Kids release rather than Funimation, just because G Kids know what they're doing with. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just, just a theory. Who, who released this corner of the world? Uh, in America, it was Shout Factory and Funimation as a sort of collaborative thing. Mm. So, I don't know. So that might be. Which is, it's, just, it, it's, it's a shame because we've, you know, had an opportunity. We've most of us have had an opportunity to see that movie, and it's just like you, you would think that that as far as animated films go, that that would be like, per, you know. Academy, you know, that would be perfect for Academy nomination. Yeah, but it's kind of Oscar Beatty, you know, it's about yeah, exactly. <laughs> checks all the boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, has a really, really art, you know, artistic style and just very compelling narrative. It's just, yeah, it's like, darn it. But does it have a baby in a suit? <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. That's one mark against it, then. There you go. Yep. If only. If only. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that two of the animated films in the category were directed or co-directed by a woman. Yeah. Which that's is another thing. Yeah. Not being talked about. Yeah. Like, I was just like, we're so all amazing. bashing on Boss Baby and just like, oh, um, can we not look at the fact that we have these, you know, two wonderful women directors uh, you know, two of their films being up for academies. Like, why is anyone talking about that? Uh, which films are those? That would the be Breadwinner. Breadwinner, definitely, and also Loving Vincent. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that was directed by a woman. Oh, well, it was co- um, co-directed. Co-directed. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Dorota Cobiella. Mm-hmm. And also, I I have. I sort of, I just kind of want to watch Boss Baby now, just just to, um, <laughs> just to see what all the hubbub's about. Yeah, like, honestly, yeah. I'm curious. Like, I keep seeing people tweeting about how it's a masterpiece, and I don't know if they're being ironic or genuine or what. I have heard that, um, like, there are some interesting animation things done in it. Okay, that okay. Yeah. I can, I, I can, I can understand it for that sense. I'm also kind of of the opinion that maybe it's like secretly like this really super hilarious movie. Maybe if it doesn't impress me that much in a plot sense, at the very least, it'll it'll make me belly laugh. Yeah, I think I think the thing that I've heard is that <clears throat> if you can, you know, there's some people who just can't tolerate the sort of DreamWorks pacing and house style of you know humor and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but people who can, you know, get past that or tolerate it or love it even. Uh, apparently, for those people, they've you know got a lot to say for it. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother really enjoyed it, and <laughs> he doesn't usually watch you know 
a lot of animation and he said it was great so huh. i think there are some people who ironically hate it or you know love hate it um and some people who generally really enjoyed it so i don't know i mean i did uh probably one of the worst things you can do for certain movies and i tried watching it on a plane oh. and oh. i couldn't get through the first 15 minutes because oh, you know the option to turn it off was there and um <laughs> yeah but uh i do want to give it another shot I think we could all agree it could have been much worse. I mean, it could have been the Emoji Movie, which was everyone was saying it was going to get nominated after they changed the rules. Everyone wants to forget that that movie existed. <laughs> and I haven't seen it. So, hey, it could be a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, I maybe. Mean, I mean, it's, it's probably not, to be fair. <laughs> maybe. Uh, has, has anyone seen the shorts category? Um, the nominations are Dear Basketball from uh, Glenn Keane. Mm, uh, I really want to see that. And Pixar's Lou. I don't know what that that because there was no Pixar. There was no Pixar short in front of. Oh, was Lou in front of Cars? It was. That was attached to Cars Three. Oh, okay. That's what. That's I'm why no one's seen it. I was looking at that and I was wondering, like, wait, why didn't I see that when I went to see Coco? And I'm like, oh, right, that uh, Frozen's uh, short, oh, um, long, uh, short animation. Or sequel Frozen's plug. long. <laughs> sequel, sequel plug, sequel plug for Frozen to the Frozen Two uh, came before Coco. That's where I'm like, oh, wait a second, that's why I didn't. I didn't. You know, I got to say, um, I watched that over Christmas mm-hmm. on TV, and I cannot believe that was in front of a like a feature. <laughs> it's clearly a holiday special. Yeah, I don't know I, what they were thinking. Well, I think it's, it was it would they were trying to time it with the time of year that Coco was being released, and I thought I think someone upstairs thought that would make sense. As you know, so we're getting ready for the holiday season and Christmas, and we want to you know you know be obviously frozen merchandise is going to sell really high in the winter time. Like I'll just put the you know and put this you know short animation in front of in front of Coco, which so they just thought that we would eat up anything frozen. So. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's very very large fan base certainly will, but it's just I don't know. It's all the kids. You know? Well, yeah. it wasn't. I'll, I'll, if I may just because I feel like I've said this before, but I might just reiterate just really for a short minute here. I watched it, and yes, it was long. Yes, I wanted to get to Coco. I don't think it was really necessary. Like, there's a lot of people have been hating on it, and I'm like, I'm just, it's, it's fine. It's cute. It, the songs are nice, and just like it's, it is a holiday special, and it should have been treated like a holiday special and aired, su- as such. I don't think it should have been in front of a feature film for sure, but I don't think that it's like the worst decision that they've ever made. In the UK, they actually they re-released Frozen at, around Christmas. Oh. And they attached it to that. And, you know, that makes sense because yeah. that's the audience, the specific audience who wants yeah. it. So that made sense. But, hey, maybe not so much for Coco. Um, Garden Party. Again, I haven't seen these ones. Although I have seen the last one, uh, which is Revolting Rhymes, because uh, that was on TV over Christmas, on Christmas 20. 
2017, mm-hmm. 2016 even. Um, it was a it was basically a TV special. It was I think wasn't it two parts, Dan? Was it? I thought it was. I thought it was at least. So it's an hour, forty <laughs> minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Um, I thought it was two episodes, uh, based on the Roald Dahl Revolting Rhymes book, um, mm-hmm. from Magic Light Pictures. So, brilliantly made. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I, I feel horrible because I'm a Glenn Keane, and far as as far as animation goes, I'm very. I've been a big fan of Glenn Keane for a long time, and I feel terrible that I haven't had opportunity to sit down and watch this short. I'm not entirely sure where I would look, but I would because it's Glenn Key and I enjoy his work. Um, I think it might be vague. I think it got released on some sort of platform and I was very excited and then it was region locked. Yeah. No. Oh man. Um, so you might be able to watch it, Rachel. On some I know. I just, I'm trying to remember, like I'll, I'll have to just look into it sometime maybe yeah after maybe after we're done recording today I'll, I'll i'll go on a search and then i'll send a shout out on twitter like i found it <laughs> i found it and coco also got a nomination in the best original song category that does not surprise me because remember me is a very catchy song but i'm still salty about about <laughs> moana not getting us and no one getting an award for best original song come on I'm trying to remember which 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 song was that again that they got nominated last year or what you wanted to get like you were expecting to get nominated. Uh, well, I think I think how how far you'll go it would have been the yeah. one nominated, yeah. but but it went <laughs> La La Land. Um, <laughs> La La Land was I think that was that was one of the films that absolutely like, cleaned up last year's, except one little award it didn't get. Um, <laughs> it almost got it, almost. I almost got him. <laughs> Obscure Batman reference, sorry. Um, so I think that just about covers, you know, our t- discussion of the Academy Awards, and that will be taking place on March 4th, 2018. So we will wait and see what happens in terms of which film wins. We are not holding our breath, but it will be, it'll be interesting to see nonetheless. It'll be cut okay. be- I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, one other uh, we'd like to mention, since it was recently went up on the website, but we also want to make sure to draw attention to it on the podcast, is a film trailer that came out relatively recently, a U.S. premiere of a film called Bilal, A New Breed of Hero, which is the first ever CG animated feature made in the Middle East. And the film will be arriving um, in U.S. and uh, Canada as well. For um, in February, I believe February of two thousand eighteen. February second. Yes. So February second. So uh, it's, it's coming soon. up soon. Mm. Very soon. And it is. Let me see if I can find the synopsis here. Um, the film is the premise of the film is set thousands of years ago and inspired by the true story of Bilal Imd. I can't pronounce Baba. Bilal Imd Raba. If I butchered that, I am so sorry. Um, he is an African slave turned hero who finds the courage to raise his voice and make a change. The film is directed by Kram H. Alavi and Ayman Jamal. And uh, we'll make sure to include the trailer in the show notes. Um, we all had a chance to watch it. Uh, what was your respective thoughts on the trailer? So we'll start with you, Chris. 
I was impressed by the animation quality um, and the character designs. I I thought, wow, this is because sometimes you think uh, uh, when CG comes from you know, outside the Hollywood studio system, you you think it um, maybe isn't always going to be quite up to the same level, um, and maybe it's not quite um, Pixar level, but it is impressive. I think. Uh, especially for a first film to come out of that region. Um, and it also looks like there's a lot of action and stuff, and it's rated PG-13, which is unusual for an animated film. Well, it's very yeah. hard-hitting, for sure. Mm. Mm. And it's got Ian McShane as a bad guy, so hey. <laughs> what more could you want? Nina, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It looks really beautiful. I, I was very surprised because, again, like sometimes when you see new areas come up with their first feature film, it's usually not so much up to par with what a lot of Hollywood um, is doing with animation. So for it to look, look as good as it does, it's really amazing. Um, the character designs look great. The environments look so beautiful. I just like mm-hmm. want to stare at this <laughs> world. Um, and, you know, I, I've never heard of this story and I'm really looking forward to learning about this tale because it seems like a really important uh, story for that area. So, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I'm surprised I hadn't heard of it until uh, the show, even though it's coming out this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> might already be, by the time we get this episode, it might already be out in theaters. <laughs> it may well screen. be. But yeah, it's good to touch that you touched on that the the look of the environments as well, you know, because it is like I mean, I, you can definitely tell that you know the environments are animated, but like at a at first glance, it looks like oh no, wait, that looks like some at least some parts of it look like it could have been like you know those uh they were like it could be like real like pictures. And I love the my one of my favorite sequences at the end is at the very end of the trailer where you have like all of this supernatural uh, imagery at the very end it's where you see sand. lots of these billowing sand. Uh, yeah. figures coming out of sand and just this uh, creature of sand and fire it looks really super cool i mean like the the lighting is great like you know typically with like first cgi films they tend to look a little flat but like this looks so lived in you know it it it, it looks real mm-hmm. dan did you want to offer your two cents i want to see it <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all i can say no, it. Yeah, you guys have said everything I want to say about it. Like, it looks beautiful. It looks. Um, it's got really, really good character design. Um, mm. Sometimes um, I think. I mean, this used to be the case. Probably more sort of um, uh, ten, fifteen years ago. Probably a little bit more. <clears throat> but when CG film would have. Um, a human cast, it would kind of struggle with um, the degree of stylization that it mm. should hit, um, and to what extent it should uh, let the exaggerated features in the designs of uh, the characters, you know, um, push things like expressions. And yeah, it just looks very, very lovely. <laughs> I don't know what to say. And, you know, as uh, exciting as the trailer was, I don't really understand what the story is, but 
in a way that's you know that's uh, more intriguing to me than off-putting yeah a bit of the unknown or the mystery the fact that this is a story that you know we're unfamiliar with but that also kind of adds to the intrigue of the fight going and seeing the movie and finding out what it's about yeah 100 percent. yeah no it looks it looks great and it's yeah. always interesting to see like a story from a part of the world that you don't often get the chance to hear their their stories and especially if it actually comes from that country rather than um that's exactly yeah. true yeah yeah, yeah very definitely. much all right, very cool. And as I said, that will be coming to theaters in basically by, by, by February 2nd, it will be out. So if any of that sounds interesting or if you check out the, the trailer for yourself, go, go see this movie. It looks wonderful. And the last bit of news we wanted to cover today regards the Glasgow Film Festival, which is takes place between, uh, this is going to be taking place this year between February 22nd and March 4th. Um, there's going to be a bit of an interesting premiere this uh, this year for the Glasgow Film Festival. And that is a particular film that is coming out uh, when we premiered there. That's called uh, Machia when the flower when the when the promised flower blooms. I'm sorry, stumbling over that. And uh, this is the directorial debut from uh, Mari Okada, which who is best known as a screenwriter responsible for a bunch of different uh, Japanese animated films and uh, anime series. Um, which include Anthem of the Heart, um, Anohana, and Fate Stay Night. This is going to be a directorial debut, as I said, and it'll be premiering on March 4th. There has been a trailer released as well. Uh, and it looks really super cool. I've um, not too familiar with um, Mario Okada's work. I've only, uh, one thing that I know I definitely, a first that I've seen was Anohana, which was a very, very heart-wrenching and intense, but very lovely animated series uh anime series that i definitely would rate up like in my top 10 um but uh it's yeah i'm I'm very intrigued by the look of this movie it's got a very soft you know very soft look to it but also looks like it's going to be a bit of an emotional roller coaster as well um let me give the synopsis really quick um it is a fantasy film that's yeah it seems very on brand yeah definitely (laughs) definitely the um the story is set among the uh, a race of peaceful and apparently immortal beings called. I'm making sure I pronounce this uh, Lof or L O P H. I think so. That's how I. Yeah, trying to pronounce it from how the you know the Japanese pronunciation of the name versus the how the English translation of the name would be. It'd be a little. It's a little tricky. But when their homeland is attacked by people believing their blood holds the secret to their longevity, the Tsutomakia escapes into to a dark forest. There she encounters a a helpless baby boy and the two set off on a journey and obviously from the look of the trailer which we'll also again include so people can take a look at it from themselves it looks like there's a lot more than just get that going on I mean, we definitely see our uh, main character along with the uh, infant in question but there seems to be so much else going on in this movie like a uh, lots of different characters uh showing up and you know lots of action sequences too that look pretty heavy but it's still kind of, like I said, has or that really kind of soft look to it. Like, especially with the character designs. It's just like, it, it kind of reminds me, it really takes me back to the kind of look, you know, the, how the characters looked in uh, um, Anohana. It's coming from PA Works, who are known for quality animation, I believe. And uh, it is also, this is, the other cool thing about this is it is, this is the um, debut, international debut outside Japan. 
uh, it is like releasing in Japan in February, and then uh, it's getting its well, its uh, international premiere in March at the Glasgow Film Festival, and then it is going to um, get a limited UK and Ireland cinema release uh, from Anime Limited, um, which. Basically, if you got their last releases in your nearest cinema, you'll probably get that, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it looks pretty. Is <laughs> all I can say, really. Um, I'm again. I don't really have a lot of familiarity with uh, Mario Okuda's work, but she's done a lot. She seems she's been very prolific in screenwriting and. Uh, behind the scenes uh, serious composition is a credit that she seems to have a lot of we're not quite sure what it means uh dan speculated that it might be like sort of coming up with overall story arcs and things like that so um so she's got a lot lot of time in the industry but this is her first time actually directing a feature um so that's, that's exciting. exciting yeah mm. definitely and it's also not very common um in anime uh, for directors to come out of screenwriters, mm. um, very true. Yeah. Y- usually, it's animators and directors are, you know, notorious uh, for drawing all the storyboards, um, and are usually people who draw. So um, it'd be interesting to see, uh, yeah, how that works. I think one of the few directors who don't draw in animes, like uh, Isao Takahata. That's interesting. That's I don't know because we, we, we've talked about Isao Takahata quite a bit, but I, I forget. Maybe we mentioned in the previous episode, and I'm just kind of like having temporary, you know, memory lapse. But I don't think we've ever talked about that in regards to Isao Takahata. Like, I, I never knew that that's he. You know, he was more of a writer than a than a you know than a draw. You know, an animator. He has a he has a an amazing eye for composition, and he'll do very very rough storyboards. But his films are storyboarded by usually two people mm-hmm. uh, whose storyboards he sort of approves and uh, yeah, yeah. That's it's, ba- it's basically why his films don't have a singular visual style like Miyazaki stuff does. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, I guess I guess there is a similarity between um, uh, Princess Kaguya and um, uh, My Name is Dee Mudders, but other than that, mm-hmm. uh, still, still very different. And um, yeah, all these films are different. And then he worked on he what was he the um, what was his title on Red Turtle? It was something like creative. I was like creative producer or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that film. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so flipping good. Uh, yeah. Um, also at Glasgow Film Festival, they are screening uh, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. which is actually opening the festival with a gala screening, uh, which has already sold out, I'm sorry to say. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> it, the tickets like, only went on sale this week, and they're like, Voo, gone. Um, a, lot but, of hype. Uh, a lot of hype for this movie. There's also going to be more, there's going to be like two or three or maybe even four screenings of it throughout the festival, so um, there still may be some tickets. Uh, although by the time this comes out, maybe there aren't. Um, and the breadwinner is getting a screening from Cartoon Saloon, the triple Oscar nominee Cartoon Saloon. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
uh, that's getting a screening ahead of the UK release, which isn't till May. So, um, and they are screening Attack on Titan, The Roar of Awakening, which is apparently a compilation movie based on series two of the anime. I didn't know that was a thing until I read this. Um, and that is screening for one night only in a secret location. <laughs> hush, hush, secret, secret. I oh, like to imagine oh it's in behind some wall somewhere. Their walls and Glasgow. Their walls and Glasgow. We'll never know. <laughs> um, I went. I went to the Glasgow Film Festival a few years ago um, when the Wind Rises uh, premiered there, and it's oh. a brilliant festival, and um, it's sort of uh, held around the. Um, uh, the film theatre in the middle of the city um, and it's a great festival and it's really exciting that it's growing last year they had um, a Silent Voice premiere there and um, Nelko Yamada was in attendance so they're getting yes they they also host the um, the venue that is also hosts um, Scotland Loves Anime ah uh, yeah yeah so they've got um, a bit of a yeah which is like a it's like a yearly sort of festival you mm-hmm. know, based around anime and uh, smattering of like Japanese uh, film uh, f- uh, f- f- uh, you know like Japanese film releases non-animated mm. yeah well. it's a, it's organised by the the, pr- the same guy who owns Anime Limited so <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and also they are screening a little film uh, that called Mary and the Witch's Flower. Yes, yeah. yes. It's yeah. a little movie. Just tiny, tiny, tiny little little release there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also found out uh, instantly this week that um, that's, for, for, for my fellow uh, Dubliners, it's uh, it's also playing um, at the Lighthouse, uh, I think, uh, the end, in the end of February or the beginning of March in Dublin. Mary, Mary and the Witch's Flower? Mm-hmm, as part of the Dublin Film Festival. Ah, oh, oh, sweet. Excellent. Very, very good. Um, also, to make sure that if anyone's interested in, you know, attend, not only attending Glasgow Film Festival, but also going to see this international premiere of Machia, When the Flower, When the Promised Flower Blooms. I keep getting, the, my dyslexia keeps kicking in when I try to read that title. It's like it twitches oh, the word no. promised <laughs> and flower. I, it's like, darn it, curse you, dyslexia. You always will haunt me to the day I die. But for those of you interested in that premiere and want to uh, want to go see it um, throughout the days of the film festival, that will be taking place on March 4th. So um, we will also include a link so you can purchase tickets for that. So if you like what you see in the trailer, definitely check that out. It looks like it's going to be a really awesome movie. That's a good day, right? <laughs> March 4th. Big yeah, day. Yeah, that's, that's a big day. It's <laughs> a big, big day, March 4th. All right, I think that about does us does us for news. So we're gonna get right into the main discussion, and we're gonna get into talking about the entirety of Mary and the Witch's Flower. We're gonna start with our usual general discussion about the film, and then we're gonna go into a bit of a spoilery discussion. So real quick, like basic information that we you know need to know about the film. You know, obviously Studio Panax's first feature film, as we already discussed, it was directed by Hiromasa Yonabayashi, the uh, same uh, gentleman who directed both The Secret Life of Arietti and uh, when Marnie was there. So this is his third movie. Um, the book, the, the movie itself, the story is based off a book, uh, 
novel by uh, Mary Stewart called The Little Broomstick. And I believe it was released, it was originally released in Japan, um, I believe it was July 8th and back in uh, 2017, but it's only now getting, uh, it had re- its US release last week and it will be getting a release in the UK on May 4th. So as just a general discussion, uh, since I think Nina, you were the one who had the most uh, recent experience watching the movie. How about you uh, give us your general thoughts and experience on watching the movie? All right. So overall, I did like it. It was delightful. I definitely think it's uh, it's Yonabayashi's best film um, of the three that he's directed, um, in my opinion. Uh, I think it has the most spirit behind it. It's the most adventurous and fun. Um, the animation, of course, is impeccable. Like, it is so polished, so lovely. Um, it... I don't know. It, it was just like a fun um, sort of like kids adventure. You know, I, I, I definitely felt the, it being adapted from like a classic uh, children's novella sort of story. Like it had these very traditional sort of fairy tale elements in it. It was pretty, it, you know, it reminded me about reading story of reading stories when I was a kid. Um, it's a bit derivative of other Ghibli movies. Um, I actually found it a little distracting when I was watching it. Like there were so many scenes and shots that directly referenced previous Ghibli movies. And I just, that's all I could think about when I was watching it. But for the most part, it is a solid film and I did enjoy watching it. I just wish it had a little bit more of its own identity. Mm. Very good. How about you, Dan, since you are our uh, resident Ghibli expertise. Um, yeah, I was really, really looking forward to it. Um, I, and I'm, like, as soon as Yonabashi was, like, making films, uh, I was excited for, to see what he was doing, because, um, you know, apart from Miyazaki, there was not very much, uh, coming out of Ghibli in, in the way of, like, other directors, up-and-coming directors. Um, and I really, really like Arietti and uh, when Marnie was there, Mary and the Witch's Flower again. Like I kind of agree with Nina when she was saying parts of it felt derivative. Like it was a really weird experience watching the film because I felt, and I, I actually did feel like this watching Laputa, Castle in the Sky, mm. uh, for the first time yeah. as well. It was almost the like opening I f- was just like Laputa. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like, like I that felt... first opening scene was almost exactly the same. Um, yeah. It's almost like I felt like I had seen it before in, mm. in, in a way that, like, it, it's, it's like something I had seen on TV, like at half term or something, or in the summer holidays, uh, in the morning on TV or something. It was very... Um, it was kind of eerie <laughs> in a weird sort of way for um, how much it felt. Uh, yeah. Like familiar. Like it was, yeah, no, I, it was, it was a strange film. I, I don't really, I don't really know if I like it and I don't really know my reaction to be honest with you. Um, I think the way that I understood it after I watched it was actually, um, uh, I've recently been rewatching Twin Peaks The Return. Oh, and you know it's got a similar thing going on where it's just like it—it's like it—it—it it, it kind of hints at a backstory, 
and then it just decides it has no interest in whatever is going on with the characters and it just barrels into like a dream world where very little makes sense Mm. and you kind of struggle to mm, figure out what's real and what's not and what you should be paying attention to and what you shouldn't um but you know overall it's um yeah it's a weird film and uh you know the animation obviously is i think the highlight there's image there are images in there which um uh, are truly uh, dazzling and kind of prove um, that Yonibayashi, uh, who was actually a very big hand in in Ponyo, uh, in the like weird effects of the fish and water in Ponyo, mm-hmm. a lot of the way that stuff was animated was really his ideas um, and his execution. So he's definitely got like a, a real a real knack and uh, and an eye for executing that sort of stuff but yeah I mean as a story I don't really know if there was much of one there um, really wasn't if you know um, but the weird thing is is that I can only assume that the simplicity as far as that's concerned is intentional because um, you know it was it, it was uh, the film was written by him as was um, his last film with Julie. Uh, which was uh, when Marnie was there. And I like when Marnie was there. It's a really good, sad film <laughs> uh, that really sort of follows through on its themes and everything. And and I maybe I need to see Mary and the Witch's Fire again because it it was very... It was almost too light. Yeah. Um, uh, my issue with Yonabayashi yeah. is that, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. My my, no, my thing do. with Yonabayashi as a director is that you know he has a fantastic eye. I mean, obviously he's he's a great visual director. Like he has such wonderful ideas about how things should move and how should things should look, and he's really captured like this family friendly Ghibli aesthetic. And like he really understands the aesthetic of how Ghibli works. I just don't know if he understands sort of how the stories set themselves, you know? Like, I feel like whenever I come off out of one of his films, I don't regret watching it, but I always feel a kind of, like, emptiness at the end, like, sort of, there wasn't much in the way of substance. Um, Mm. Like, even the characters don't tend to really have, in this movie in particular, the characters didn't really have any arcs. Like, this movie... Uh, obviously had a lot of parallels to like Spirited Away and like Kiki's Delivery Service, but Kiki and Chihiro had to like learn something about themselves. Mary kind of just needed to go on an adventure because she was bored. Uh, (laughs) And I wasn't really sure what the, you know, what's the moral of the story? What's the lesson that we need to learn? Um, And that's, I think, what I found the most disappointing about the experience. Mm. Well, I really enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I completely, basically when I first saw, when the first, the first trailer for this came out, it was a real surprise to everyone. I remember uh, because nobody knew what was happening. And then everyone was like, what? There's a, is there a new studio Ghibli film? No, there isn't. But this looks exactly like a studio Ghibli film. And it does look exactly like a Studio Ghibli film, but it's, it's, um, yeah, I can see where 
why people have described it as sort of Ghibli light or, uh, you know, as you say, there is, there is, and it, it, I think it totally is in a way, uh, but it's, even though, you know, it's like, it's so, it, it feels so familiar uh, and looks so familiar um, and it's kind of like, it's almost like, I, I'm kind of erring between calling it sort of almost like a um, a Studio Ghibli greatest hits, but then on the other ti- other other side sort of almost like a, a tribute act uh, <laughs> because it looks, but one because it it obviously looks um, almost identical because uh, they've got so many Studio Ghibli staff, ex Studio Ghibli staff involved, uh, but mm. it doesn't quite ever get up to the heights of the best Geo Ghibli stuff but you know a or a very close to being almost Studio Ghibli film is still better than most things <laughs> I feel yeah it feels so, like it's still, it could still scratch that itch yeah, yeah. Um, I love the way you put it in your review Rachel of saying it was kind of like the film equivalent of a a comfortable pair of slippers and I feel that is totally totally apt it, it, it was it was kind of a relaxing experience for me it was like oh yeah I know where I am with this um, <laughs> yeah so, it does. see this is the thing I didn't know where I was with it it was no I'm, I'm seriously I mean the film to to sort of uh, hint a little bit and uh, not completely spoil the film's uh, plot the film itself does literally, if there is any story to be told, it's that things might not be as they first appear. And because the film was sort of dazzling you, I felt like it was dazzling us with the introduction of a couple of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they were slightly off made me feel more uneasy than it probably should have (laughs) because it was you know like going into well going into Hogwarts or like going into um, the bathhouse in in Spirited Way and there being a sense of wonder about it but I was constantly a bit lost because I wasn't sure how the film wanted me to feel about it Ah okay There's also like that's that slight anxiety too, kind of about it. Where it's yeah, like, it's exactly. Nice, but it's also like I don't know if I feel should feel comfortable. That's that, exactly that was, right. There was a weird, yeah, there was a weird amount of anxiety I had watching it. Definitely. I actually really liked that. It reminded me of reading like, like fairy tales when I was a kid, especially like the, the repetitive nature where she goes to the magic world and then she has to return to like. Mm-hmm rescue somebody like this idea of um it's like yeah like you think it's 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 a, a, an escape you know because she's lonely she's bored she feels silly and she goes to this place and it embraces her and makes her feel special and amazing but actually it's none of those things um i don't know i i feel like it does sort of play to that child experience of mm. being confused I've always liked that aspect that Studio Ghibli does, and I do. I do like how this film 
feeling, even if it is a little confusing. Um, but I feel like it's confusing to be a kid, so I can see a lot of kids relating to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the things that really kind of drew me to it is the fact that, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not sure how much of that's coming from just the screenplay or how they adapted the screenplay or how much of what they're drawing from mm-hmm. is from the core of the actual story of The Little Broomstick. Uh, but no, yeah, I like the fact that it's, in terms of having, you know, a, a child main character, I, I, I did enjoy... I didn't enjoy Mary's journey, even though, like, it, like you said, it, there was a bit of confusing in terms of the fact that, okay, she's doing this because she's bored. You know, she gets, yeah, you know, she's made feel special, you know, about the one thing that she's always self-conscious about. Her hair's like, oh, your red hair means you're special. Um, and then learning about how to, how to use the flower. And then, of course, getting in trouble when the place that looks so magical and fantastic, fantastic is actually got a, like a dark underbelly to it. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. It was, it was, I'm not sure if it's one of those films that you, you know, if you, you know, you turn the brain off, it, it make, you know, if you can enjoy it a bit more, but I think it was just like, again, it was that little bit of a familiarity with, you know, past Ghibli works and the fact that I have seen a lot of the people in terms of animation, all the animators who worked on previous Ghibli films who were very much involved with this one made that, maybe that's what made it feel so comfortable. Yeah. It also gave me like Coraline vibes in that regard. Yeah. It's a very similar sort of premise and a very similar sort of twist. Just mm-hmm. not quite as creepy. No, but. no, yeah. Coraline was very intense creepy. Yeah. Whereas this was... Like yeah, but it's, it's that same idea where the girl, you know, she wants an escape from her life and then she gets it, but it's not actually very good. Mm-hmm. I, one thing I would say is definitely in comparison to other studio ghibli films it take it really spends quite a lot of time like in the real real world at the beginning before you actually get or it felt like it um yeah it did but 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 it didn't set anything up in that world not really no it kind of like there is a very and this is why like the it reminded me of david lynch stuff because it like hinted very frustratingly at like a sort of position that her parents were in of coming to get her and her circumstances were never made like very clear in terms of um where she was at in her life or like why what was going on in the real world it I, i think it might have been you know just the fact that it was a convention that the film issued uh, that made it confusing, but usually in these sorts of movies, you know, like I guess the most uh, typical example would be um, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. The the real world setting purposefully mirrors the um, the fantasy realm, and yeah. actually, this is something that Miyazaki was really, really good at with things like Spirited Away. Mm. Um, uh, he understood that there had to be a thematic element set up in the real world that gave the fantasy realm some stakes and vice versa. Yeah. And I think the film felt very empty to me in that regard, um, which was a shame because I, you know, I loved the setting. Um, you know, obviously being a being a Brit and kind of. <laughs> uh, you know, very easily uh, uh, feeling, you know, nostalgic and, you know, the, the pandering 
in that sense works uh, worked brilliantly for me. Yeah, I, because I, I I always find it quite interesting that Yonobayashi has actually always been adapting British yeah. children's literature. Yeah, that's very yeah. And for the, the first, first one, yeah, mm-hmm. that doesn't been relocated to Japan. Um, yeah, and I I thought that was really interesting, and it was, you know, even though it was kind of idealized, it was like a modern sort of England, and I I kind of I kind of dug that, but there was very little in terms of backstory really to sink your teeth into, um, which I think is why the film ends when it does, mm. it ends very ends very abruptly. Um, does. Yeah. And I kind of like that about it because um, that's actually something that like the early Ghibli films did. Like Nausicaa ends oh, very yeah. abruptly, and so does <laughs> the uh, you know Castle in the Sky ends very abruptly as well. You know, it's I, I kind of dug that, but yeah, it's not quite something about it isn't quite tying together for me. Mm. And maybe I need to re- rewatch it, and um, you know. That'll, that'll help, maybe. Yeah, I think this is definitely a film that, you know, definitely... Is anybody here familiar of Mary Stewart before? Or? Did she write um, Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Let me check. <laughs> Pause for research. <laughs> Let's see. But no, yeah, I definitely need to see... She did not. Oh, Okay. <laughs> um, she only wrote three children's novels. Oh, she's really? famous for the Merlin trilogy. Okay. And a lot of romantic suspense novels. Um, um, I I feel like the so the fact that um, again they're adapting British like uh, children's literature like feels very much like that comes from the Ghibli playbook of of you know. How House Moon Castle was made. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiki, obviously. Um, kind of. Well, Kiki, I think, was a series of Japanese novels. That's um, right. Before Miyazaki adapted it. But yeah, it, it, it is definitely on that kind of track. And I think, um, in a way, it feels like um, they might need to fly the coop a little further. I agree. And find their own voice a little bit more. Um, Because I'm not sure what the point is of just sort of recreating what Ghibli's been doing. I mean, I would think that the creators from Studio, from Ghibli, would want to like flex their wings without having Miyazaki's like very strict um, directorial style sort of Mm -hmm. like limiting what they can make. Like, I think they want to do something different. I'm not really sure what the point is of just continuing making these Ghibli type stories just for the sake of it. Mm. I think I might know what it is. I I think it might even just be the, because, you know, Yonobayashi, he started it to be um, on Princess Mononoke as an in-betweener. And Mm -hmm. um, he's pretty much done nothing but work there. And um, all of his ideas about filmmaking would have come from that one place. Uh, So, you know, I think uh, he's always going to be very strongly tethered to uh, the house uh, style there, really, because 
uh, it's all he's known, <laughs> frankly. Um, is is you know Miyazaki's way. So it's uh, is is I think it's difficult to see whether he'll ever really break out of it. I felt like Mon- when Marnie was there was the furthest he went um, yeah. doing his own thing. You know, he was having, um, he wrote the screenplay uh, with uh, Masashi Ando, who also really heavily influenced the look of the characters in that film. You know, the characters look a little bit more detailed than other Ghibli films and the setting is quite uh, uh, heavily referenced and quite realistic in its own way as well um so yeah i don't know i'd I'd like to see i'd like to see that sort of thing a little bit more from uh yana biashi because he 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 does he he's good at sequences definitely but maybe not the entire whole and i think i almost think that might be something that he is interested in in this sort of, you know, um, trying to make something that's greater than the sum of its parts on purpose. Because, mm. uh, you know, look at Arietti. The story is very weird and simple. It's just... <laughs> it doesn't really go you, anywhere. Well, it's like, yeah, she just says, well, you know, um, no, was it her father says, Pod says, you know, um, well, you know, if the humans find out that we're here, then we've got to move on. And then about 40 minutes in, the humans find out and they move on. And the film ends. And <laughs> Literally half. Like, the, they paste it out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what to take. I think, you know, it's very possible that the target audience as well is not helping uh, our, our kind of reaction to the film. Because it is very, very simple. Yeah, I mean, I imagine being very, a very girl simple. and, like, being very happy with something like this you know you know she's a very Mm -hmm. typical like young protagonist she has a lot of similar anxieties but it works you know it i can see how like when the story was originally written it was kind of a progressive story where like you know the little girl's the one saving the little boy and like Mm -hmm. which is a good thing and this like family tradition and sort of being passed down through the generations and like it, it feels derivative, but I think it's because it's a story. Um, you know, I, I believe it was written. When was it written? Um, it feels like the 50s. It was written in 71. So, yeah, huh. like, of course, it seems kind of by the books. But at the, I can imagine for 71 being, like, totally enthralled by this, like, witch girl <laughs> who, like, is kind of, you know, doesn't really follow the rules or like she's trying to like make herself feel better and like will lie about being super great but then she has to go fix her problems and she's the hero you know um and it, i can imagine even being a kid little kid now and watching the movie and having a lot of fun with it oh yeah very really much um but i do remember when this movie first was announced how miyazaki being the crab apple that he is said that he wasn't going to watch it on principle oh, yeah. because he was disappointed in them for being so derivative of his work. Oh, well. Oh, wow. I, I didn't yeah. hear that. Yeah, I, he was like, I, you know, don't understand the point. Why are they making a studio if they're just going to copy me? They should do something different. So I'm not going to watch it. 
It was like, oh, Miyazaki. Yeah, because I think you remember he was, he, I mean, I think he was supportive of the fact that they were going to start a new studio. I think he was, he supported that just fine. I just, and in yeah, regards to this movie, yeah, he didn't have too many nice things to say. <laughs> no, no, he was like, what, why? <laughs> why are you doing this again? Like, what? what's the, I was like, oh, boy. Oh, dear. <laughs> He's, it'd be great to get this, like, be able to say whatever you want. <laughs> and people will still worship the ground you walk on. <laughs> That's Miyazaki. Yeah. But I have to say, I mean, even regardless of how we feel on the plot, you know, as we've all kind of basically run around the circle and saying that there is, there's little denying that you know, even though they, it does take a lot of inspiration from Miyazaki's previous work, the animation in its of itself is, you know, basically super spectacular to watch. And even if you're not being pulled in by the story as much, you're being pulled in by the visuals. And there Definitely. were quite a few sequences. We'll we'll get a bit more in depth on what those sequences were in the spoiler section once we're which we're getting closer to. But I just want to make a quick mention of this. Um, it's just it was very. Like, even for people who primarily did a lot of work in Ghibli, you know, even, like, you know, the big movies like Spirited Away, um, Howl's Moving Castle, etc., there was just some really unique-looking visuals in this that just kind of really just kind of my jaw kind of hit the floor. Even from the oh, very opening scene, like I mentioned in our uh, review on the website, that that was, like, the, you know, the very first scene that we start with is one that really just kind of, like, hooked me in, even though not every scene in the film had me just as hooked there that was that was a sequence i'm not going to be forgetting anytime soon just by the way that they were able to make everything everything in that scene feel just by the animation alone and a lot of that in part is you know partially due to the director himself but also the um the animation staff as well it's definitely a pretty film you can't deny that Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's got obviously and like Dan was saying about the um, like the setting at the beginning, it's it it feels really well researched. Like it feels like real, yeah, like a slightly fantasy but still real version of England. And I think it's specifically sort of northern, sort of. Would Dan, would you say? Yeah, yeah, it feels yeah. like um, yeah, like Yorkshire or somewhere like that, maybe with the cobbles. Mm-hmm. And the very sort of um, yeah, the way that the way the houses are built, yeah, looks definitely northern, um, and also in in the um, and that that is appropriate with the uh, with the dub. They the the reason though it's got British voices is just because I've the uh, international rights. I think um, it's a British company bought them uh, mm. altitude, so I think. That's the reason it's been dubbed with British actors rather than anything else. Okay. Um, but it's it's funny to see reaction from some people like, oh, it's weird. Why are there British voices? It's really weird. Yeah, because it would be so much more sensible if they were American accents. <laughs> no, thing. It's like, it takes place in the UK. So it's like, yeah. I, that makes sense. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, in terms of like the English performance, uh, since that's the version of the film that we all had the opportunity to watch, what was your opinion on the... Uh, the performances because we have quite a few different people have uh, you know jim broadbent was in there kate winslet 
kind of like, I, I almost forgotten when I started watching this movie exactly who was, which character she was voicing. And then I was reintroduced to that character. I'm like, nah, that can't be Kate Winslet. And then I like really listening. Oh crap. That's Kate Winslet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I thought it was solid. Yeah. Obviously Jim Broadbent's always good and Kate Winslet. Um, the, the uh, young actress playing uh, Mary herself uh, is the little girl from the BFG, uh, <clears throat> Ruby Barnhill. Uh, yeah, she was decent, uh, fitted the role and everything. And I think, yeah, she's a bit northern, so that helps. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I noticed they said jam, so jelly, that was good. Although I think they said elevator. <laughs> I was like, what? No, why I noticed. I noticed. Why would you say elevator? elevator? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, lift. they did say elevators. Lift. 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 Well, it's it was probably a lip syncing thing, honestly. <laughs> to be uh, honest, they had to match those lip flaps. Yep. Otherwise, we're we'll we'll try to say lift, and then the character speaking will you know the, they'll say the word, and then the mouth will keep moving. It's just like that would seem a little awkward. Yeah. Um. Oh, and the uh, the uh, the fairy fellow, the little um, Scottish. Oh, Flanagan. I loved him. He's my favorite. <laughs> and also, it's it's funny for a lot of the British audience that there's a character called Zebedee. Um, that name is familiar mostly from this really old stop motion series called The Magic Roundabout. Um, mm-hmm. That there was um, a character called Zebedee who was a little red thing on spring. He bounces around. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and he, he had a black moustache yeah and uh, he, the catchphrase is it's time for bed said Zebedee so it was kind of weird to have someone a, a real person called Zebedee you know mm. just a gardener a it, was actually, it was actually a French uh, series that was, mm. was dubbed into English yeah they just made it up I think they just got a French series and an English person just to talk over it. Oh, make up your own stories around it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the voice, the voice cast was great. Jim, Jim Broadbent really got into it. He really and, did. Um, I, I dug that. He took it seriously. Uh, seriously. Uh, I, I really, I really appreciated that. Um, and you and you and Bremner, mm. um, Spud. In train spotting, uh, was great as as Flanagan the dog. I, the dog at first, I, I was, I think I was thinking, is that what's his face? Um, I thought it was David Tennant. Did you? Oh, uh, I thought it might be. Um, I thought it might be. Uh, what's his name? He was. He lives in America. He was Scottish guy. Sean Connery. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> The one who had uh, the um, talk Craig show. Oh, uh, Craig Ferguson. Yeah, I thought it might be yeah. him. Yeah, but, it could have been. But it, obviously it wasn't. It was you and Bremner. Yes. Um, yeah, he was great. <laughs> and he was a great character as well. I liked him. He just popped yeah. up and it's helpful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very helpful, helpful to his job. Like, and would yell. And, and yeah, basically doing his job and yelling at Mary's like, take care of your broomstick. <laughs> well, okay, so this is when the film started to feel nostalgic in a way I couldn't put my finger on. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it was because uh, Flanagan sort of reminded me of uh, the dog in Labyrinth. Ah. It's not. No, it's not a dog. It's a um, oh. fox. The fox in Labyrinth. Who rides yeah. the dog? Night guy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brutus is the dog. I can't remember. That's <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and the film, yeah, kind of for some reason, like began to feel in, very vaguely in terms of the vibes it was sending out, similar to like the never-ending just... story or mm. the Dark Crystal or Labyrinth or something. Mm. I think it's because it's like. A very classic sort of fairy tale, you know. It 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 feels like a lot of fairy tales. Like it's seems like Mary Stewart was trying to make like a modern fairy tale because mm-hmm. it hits a lot of those beats. Like even yeah. the fact that you have to return to the place three times. You know, the fact that yeah. Flanagan warned her about her broom three times. Like that kind of repetition. Yeah, kind of calls into that subconscious. Like, oh, I these stories that we've all grown up with that we've like totally osmosed into our brains. The classic rule of three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually to be, to be fair to the film as well. um, A really, really impressively genuinely enchanting uh, sequence introducing the wizard school because, Mm -hmm. you know, after Harry Potter, I don't know many people who would even, you know, consider approaching a story about wizard school. and thinking about how to make it unique and it really did feel very unique and i felt like i was looking at things i'd never seen before i did that that was impressive i did spot um a uh, someone in in the wizard school uh with uh brown hair and glasses in the background (laughs) i don't know if it was deliberate i've you know what? If when the time comes to watch this movie again, I will be on the lookout for that because I know there were lots of different scenes where lots of you know you'd see students passing around, you know, walking through like classrooms and whatever. And it's like you really it moved so fast you weren't able to really focus on any one character design. But I'll, I'll, I'll look into that again. That, that's that's a that, if that is actually what it, what we think it might be, it's it would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- I feel like you I can... like the integration of the science. I think that really did help set it apart from your more typical yes, wizard definitely. school. Definitely. I feel like that is probably again what feel it felt felt like um themes there were coming from the Ghibli playbook. You know, the element of early understandings of science and things like that. Um being a wondrous thing you know and then also the stuff with the um i guess we'll go into this properly in the spoiler section mm-hmm. well, uh, we're, we're the, stuff, the stuff of the animals obviously <laughs> i did think um, it was interesting the equated magic and science is almost like the same thing though because like typically in stories it's like they're different but like here it was like the, you know, the madam was like, science is basically, or like, electricity is basically magic, you know? Mm. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that was, that was a good gag when she was like, how do the elevators run? It's like electricity. And electricity, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. And this, yeah, the thing was another really good line. Um, uh, what is, what is uh, potions but chemistry by another name? 
Yeah, exactly. Like it, it was almost like science and magic were treated as one and the same. Mm-hmm. That was really neat. Not that not often done in films like these. Not at all. But yeah, okay. I think that would be a good. It's a good uh, place since we're since we're kind of skirting around a little bit on terms of spoiler uh, spoiler <laughs> stuff. So I think we'll just go ahead and uh, if you're if you haven't if you haven't seen the film yet. You know, definitely go see it first before listening into the rest of this po- uh, rest of this podcast, or jump ahead to the water cooler. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll go into talking about specific spoilers. Is there anything like a specific scene that uh, in later in the film that really like, anyone wants to specifically talk about? Because the one that really stood out to me was actually the the um, the final bit in the climax with the um, the giant like massive creature that they were trying to make going haywire from via the magic of the flower and Another just how that film. thing moved <laughs> it, it was awesome yeah that was great another anime film with a big blobby thing at the climax yes yes <laughs> i mean I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie i looked at that thing and i'm like okay this i am getting mononoke flashbacks a little bit and that's kind of eh okay but at the same time this thing moved a lot differently than the than the uh, entity in Mononoke, the, uh, the the forest spirit, when it had its head cut off. Um, a lot of things are just fun to animate, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, because they can go, they can move any which way, and you never, you know, that's it's exciting to see. Like, okay, you think it only can move one way, but oh no, it can actually move the other, you know, the exact opposite direction at any time. Mm-hmm. And if it's getting really fast and erratic, then you have a lot of things to keep track of. So when you're trying to get away from something it makes for a good chase. Definitely. It's the, it's the anime equivalent of a blue laser firing into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> anime has that too, though. Yeah, yeah, they're not stranger to, they're not no stranger to that, that trope either, but no, yeah, I, it, it, it does happen it's quite so often enough to be a coincidence. <laughs> I, um, I, I was, when I was watching it and getting the different vibes from different Ghibli films at different times. Um, I, I was thinking at one point, I was thinking, oh, the, the main character's kind of not like the characters you've seen in, in Ghibli films. So I was thinking, actually, she's kind of a bit bratty like Chihiro. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I sort of clicked to thinking, actually, Spirited Away is kind of the um, main vibe I'm getting for most common. Like mm-hmm. the, um, uh, like the, the introduction to the wizard school is kind of like when Chihiro's being shown around the bathhouse, mm, and yeah. like even um, Doctor D is kind of like a slightly evil version of the the boy old oh, boy. Oh, Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's. And then later in the film, you've got the the bit where she goes and visits the house that turns out to be her great aunt's. Um, that's kind of like the the uh, bit where she goes to visit um, Granny or whatever her name is. Um, goes off on the uh, sea train. Um, so, yeah, I I kind of feel like you can almost sort of lay the same outline on Mary and the Witch's Flower as. Um, Kind of like the way um, people say that uh, Secret Life of Pets kind of 
pinches the story of Toy Story and you could just lay it on there. It's kind of a bit like that, but you know. I, I, I mean, I can kind of see where you're coming from. I mean, the, the whole thing you were saying about like uh, when she goes to the, to the cottage, mm. that idea of like a retreat at that point in the story is very common throughout lots and lots of stories. And it is in lots of, um, it's definitely in lots of Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's the same moment where she got, where uh, Kiki goes to the, goes to the, um, to the little cabin in the woods. Where oh, the artist right, yeah. lives. Yeah. Very similar, you know, sort of, Hey, let's take a break before the climax kind of, <laughs> kind of structure. Um, uh, but yeah, I, you know what the thing about that was that after watching the film, I was, I was thinking, you know, it's trying to do, it's purpose. It's not trying to be as big a movie as Spirited Away or anything like mm-hmm. that. And then I, I was thinking about um, that film that's kind of not very much talked about, but I think is a really solid piece of work. And and that's um, uh, the Cat Returns, mm-hmm. uh, which was um, at that point uh, a real a real gamble for for Ghibli uh, because it was using. Um, uh, it was a director that was not, uh, you know, Miyazaki or Takahata. And it's a very similar story. You know, there's a girl who's kind of okay, a little bit uncertain in herself and a little bit selfish. Um, gets whisked away to a, a magical world and, and, uh, and grows and masters that world and returns having learn something and you know mm-hmm. is changed and um yeah no i think um i think i might take that film out again because it it's um it's very very good at it, well, I, I thought it was very good at very gently telling that story mm. uh, not trying to be a big movie uh and maybe that's where mary the witch's flowers sort of falters a little bit the fact that it has these massive massive you know as we're saying like really impressive spectacle um but maybe not the thematics or the character development to really back it up yeah and it's interesting that we're referencing all of these other jubilee you know cat the cat returns and a lot of uh you know feeling very similar to spirited away because I was looking at the extensive uh, in the credits after the film was over to look and see, um, you know, who some of the key animators were. And I wanted to try and do the same thing for the in-betweeners as well, but there's like that huge list of in-betweeners obviously for a film like this. Um, But a lot of the specifically some of the key animators, I mean, the animation supervisors also um, Takashi Inamura, Ai Inoue and Akihiko Yamashita a lot of those movies that they were involved in um, was Spirit Away, was The Cat Returns, um, mm-hmm. a lot of them, a lot more of the uh, like you know the iconic scenes too of those move of those movies. Like I believe, um, you know, the scene where um, Chihiro flies away on uh, on the dragon's back, and then also the uh, scene in uh, The Cat Returns where uh, she's walking down the um, the column of crows. Like those people yeah. were involved in this movie, so oh yeah, definitely yeah. So it's it's like you definitely like it's interesting to see those kind of 
those themes, at least for them, their work just come through in, you know, in the visuals for Mary and the Witch's Star. And it's kind of like retroactively like realizing, oh, these were the, that, those are, that's how this is connected. Well, I, I feel like that's a really good insight that is obviously, you know, just because animation is kind of understood and it's harder to understand for lots of critics. Um, I think that's a really good point you know, that, that maybe should be brought up when people feel, um, you know, the visuals might be derivative. It's because it's not derivative. It's because it's, it's the same literally people. the same hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I only really had time to go through a lot, but I, like the more people I went through um, on that list, like I had, I literally had like the whole list. I think it was 43 around, around I wrote it down in my, um, in my article, um, exactly how many key animators were involved. 43. Um, 43 in total and not, not including in-betweeners. Um, but yeah, they were a vast majority of the ones, like at least for like one or two columns of listed names were all involved mm-hmm. in like, you know, Spirited Away, uh, yeah. Cat Returns and a whole bunch of other ones. And even some stuff that yeah. I, had, I, I hadn't been familiar that they would have worked on like outside of, um, you know, Studio Ghibli's work. Like a lot of them were involved in Your Name. Uh, a lot of the other big films that were released the past couple of years. And um, I was really, silly shocked that uh, OVA that I had watched years ago and really liked the animation from that was like really kind of struck me. Uh, there was a, a blue sub number six. That I remember watching on a, oh, wow. a yeah. lot of them were involved in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was really well, impressed. Like, Oh my gosh, these people have been in my life everywhere. <laughs> Exactly, and y- y- yeah, you're 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 dead right, um, Rachel. Like th- these, the, I just found the key animation list, and it's like Hideki Hamasu, Masashi mm-hmm. Ando, Masashi yep. Ando. He was the um, he was the uh, animation director on uh, Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. Yep. Um, so his 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 hand is over that film a lot and this one um you know Atsuko Tanaka she um she was one of like Miyazaki's like right hand uh right hand men for 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 you know most of his career yeah so it's um and I'm and I'm sure you know the same is probably true of the background stuff as well yeah that's all, again very large list so in terms of, you know, design and, and character design and, and look and certain visuals, I, I don't think it's a case of uh, imitation more than, you know, as we're seeing, it's just the same hands. Mm-hmm. And perhaps maybe in a following film, like this is, this is their breakout film, perhaps maybe as they have more time to kind of, like you said, maybe have the, opp- you know, opportunity to like kind of stretch themselves out and see now that they're not under that they're they're pretty much their own agents now with this uh with studio mm-hmm. and to be able to try and do something yeah. different maybe that that that's the I next step studio, that, you know, yeah like, yeah i mean probably looking they at it, make money, you know exactly. they have to have a commercial success so exactly exactly having more experimental work yeah looking at it in terms of business i mean having a movie that looks like this on the poster with a feisty young girl with red hair, um, you know, surrounded by fantastical elements and, uh, you know, all the, all the things we've discussed, you know, like adapting British literature and everything, uh, sorry, British children's literature. 
it, it's kind of they kind of need a safe bet for their first film to mm. keep a studio open. Yeah, because we, we don't need we don't need to have Miyazaki looking over our shoulders to make sure we can do this right. And yeah, but they also but they, but they also need to let the public know. Look, this is this is a new spring now for this type of film. Mm-hmm. Drink from this well, and <laughs> you know maybe three or four, three or four, or two or three films down the line, we might be seeing uh, more unique things. Yeah, and remember Split. Ghibli's origins with the the double feature of Totoro and um, um, Grave of the Fireflies almost killed them, <laughs> and <laughs> just started you know so you know maybe it's smart to start with something less uh out there when you're trying to get your footing as a studio mm-hmm. well i have heard that this has been uh g kids's biggest release in ages oh um, wow it like it's already made over a million dollars or something um and, you know it hasn't been out very long it's um so maybe you know that's uh, great the fact that it's not actual studio ghibli but it's attracted the ghibli style audience or you know or a good proportion of the ghibli style audience is great um i also want to give a shout out to the the positive menagerie of animals in this movie as well yes which, oh they were um, perfect i loved watching them yeah uh, yeah i mean even down from from the cats um i was I was digging the cats at the beginning. Uh, They're my favorites. Yeah, I I love. I was also I was cheering because when I see a grey cat, because I've got a grey cat, so you don't get to see them very often. Um, and they just like crops up randomly. The dog called Confucius, and he's like, "That is such a you could that could come out of a Miyazaki film, no problem." Yeah. And then, and then later you've got the amazing um, menagerie stampede. Um, and this, I feel like this is the second anime I've seen over the like the past month or something that's got capybara in it, and I can't think <laughs> of the other one. Was it Devilman? Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why there was a capybara in Devilman, but there was. Because it was a uh, capybara hot springs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I always I that always stood out to me. I have a friend who's favorite animals capybara and like he's was very happy about that should capybara watch it awesome you should watch an anime called world trigger there's apparently like this uh military branch that apparently has a capybara as a mascot and it's great this, oh. small, this small child just riding around on this thing and ordering people around it's hilarious if you're ever having a bad day just go and google and search for capybara's being friends with other animals and it's amazing (laughs) they're just friends with everything oh there's a capybara and a a monkey there's a capybara and a cat there's a capybara (laughs) and a dog uh yeah it's amazing the friendliest (laughs) of giant rodents yeah Yeah. all the all the run cycles for all these different animals was so crazy cool to watch Mm -hmm. and like it was so much fun um yeah, that's just insane, that bit. <laughs> and I, yeah, just, just, I was really drawn to the fact, also the fact, I mean, obviously the dog named Confucius, I actually had to pause the movie after I heard that the dog's name was literally Confucius. I'm like, like, that's a great name for a dog. <laughs> and then we meet the um, the two cats, uh, one of which we get to see through a majority of the film, uh, Tib and Gib. 
which are adorable names for cats. <laughs> like, especially <laughs> for a pair of cats. Oh, and oh, just. And then, of course, I said that this the stampede, you know, the um, middle. I would say, I guess, we would say the middle of the film is when they're breaking out all the animals because it wasn't the. That wasn't like at first. I thought that was the climax, and then Ooh. things carried on after that. I'm like, oh, oh, guess that's not the climax. Oh, there's still more. <laughs> there's still more excitement to come. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was. I mean, I think in terms of animating animals, because I'm trying to remember exactly. I don't think any. I'm trying to think of any other like you know Ghibli film in the li- in their library actually had any like thing that it had that many different types of animals on screen. Because uh, I think it's, <laughs> I think this is a first, and when they did it, they did it really well because it looked like I think remember the scene the scene where they're trying to break out of that door after they dispel the um the barrier spell around the door and the rhinoceros is kind of crashing against the door to break out and I'm looking at that that face of that thing and that's like that looks like a real rhinoceros to me. Like they're not mm. stylizing that at all. They're making it look authentic, which is yeah, super that... cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see. <laughs> what did you guys think of the the twist? Oh, the twist in regards to the um, Endor College. Um. Yeah, I guess that was. That's. I mean, that was like. I mean, I guess the thing with the aunt, I guess that's what I'm... Oh, yeah. The, the whole, the, oh, that she was the the uh, the young witch that we see in the very beginning of the movie, escaping with the flower seeds. Um, I, I want to know more about her. <laughs> yeah, I was actually... I want to know why she gave up magic completely mm. and her awesome house. That cottage is so nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. And the fact that it's just like, oh, we've, like it's been so long since you've been here. Welcome home. Mm. Uh, yo, yeah, I feel like we missed out. Like, I mean, they did, you did get, see her giving her, her a little bit of exposition in terms of, oh, this is what happened. This is why I stole, took the flowers, you know, and left the indoor college. But yeah, it feels like there was a lot more to that story that we weren't getting. And I really wanted to know more because it, I, I'm like, from that very first scene, as I said, since that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the film is the fact that it, she seems like such a badass <laughs> Yeah. And still, and still, very much so, even in old age. But still, it's just like, oh, I wish I learned more about you. Well, that way, it sort of makes sense that Mary has got some innate magic ability in her, mm-hmm. rather than just she's a random person who happens to have found found the flower. Because otherwise, it it is just you might think that um, she doesn't have any any innate ability it's just a flower but the fact that there's the um the family connection yeah gives it a bit of an extra i go oh that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah it, 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 it was i'm trying to think of anything else in, in regards to the twist that would really because i think it was at that point in the movie like i said i was expecting like just the part before you have been the climax and then you get this whole bit like oh yeah right like I was I'd almost forgotten that we still had we you know what had happened that opening scene that we still had that the person or didn't know who exactly the person who was to stole the flowers like who and how they were supposed to be connected to Mary but no it was actually like I could see it coming but then at the same time the rest of the film had kind of um sucked me in that I wasn't really actively thinking you know continuously thinking about it throughout the movie 
Like who, who was that person? Right. Who was that person? And it sort of slightly redeems the bad guys at the end a bit as well. So, oh, they're not quite so bad. You know, they, they turned out, you know, they're not like pure evil or anything. I think, do they, doesn't one of them help? It helps that there's a spell that undoes all the bad things they did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's very convenient. Um, and then the, the, I mean, it's interesting how they leave those off to those uh, two characters off as well. The fact that mm. um, it's implied that the uh, oh gosh, why is her the character name not coming to me? Um, give me a second. I will. It'll, um, Madam Mumblechuck, if mm. I if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, that her magic was taken away mm. uh, by the big giant uh, thingamabob creature blob monster. Um, and then that's just basically the last thing we see of them is them just kind of picking themselves out of the wreckage and then all the very uh, upset looking animals are closing in on them. <laughs> <laughs> so I, don't know, like, I found that was like, even though it's like they, they found a way to redeem them a little bit, it was still yeah. kind of just like, hey, yeah, you, you messed up. You gave into greed. So mm. you, you got to pay for that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I'm I'm getting like slightly <laughs> lost again. Like I maybe there was something I was completely missing, but I have no idea what that has to do with the real world. Like that's true. What she was going through in her life that made her need to go on that adventure, other than the fact that summer holiday was coming to an end. The telly was broken. The, yeah, the she was couldn't broken. watch. She couldn't watch Saturday morning cartoons. The the telly was broken, and then but like her biggest was, flaw was just that she was clumsy. You know, she wanted to do stuff, and she was okay. It, but that was it. But she honestly I, didn't even learn how to be better. And then at the very very end, she was like, "I'm never using magic again." And I was <laughs> like, "Okay." Was that why? the moral yeah. of the story? Why, what's the what? Why not? Like, well, here's the thing. I was thinking, out okay. I think we're we're missing in from what we were missing because the film had to keep a certain pace. Was that would have made a lot more sense if she starts out really super clumsy and you know breaking stuff and messing stuff up, and then learning how to do magic via the flower, and then being able to, and then using that in the day to day outside of the college making yeah. the, the, the typical problems that she would normally have not seem so bad and then just kind of getting a little full of herself and then the trouble comes and then the double-edged sword yeah, like happens. If, like if she was in school and then she discovered the flower and was like using it to do good in school and make all these extra friends and be really special, but like it only lasts one day. And get pat, get back at people who were teasing her, etc. <laughs> but then... You know, the witch school is like, you stole our flower, and mm-hmm. like the real world and the magic world would converge. Yeah, but, it did I mean, feel like something was missing. Was. I think the thing that it was closest to doing, and it, it almost hit the idea, but because of the way she'd been set up as almost slightly too delightful, mm. uh, it didn't really work, was... Um, I've completely forgotten his name. The boy. Um, Peter. Peter. Yeah. Peter. He's very bland, so I don't... Yeah. <laughs> well, it was kind of implied that, you know, almost a little bit like uh, how Kiki gets with Tombo, mm-hmm. uh, the boy that she meets, um, the boy that Kiki 
meets in Kiki's uh, delivery service. Mm-hmm. It's almost like um, there was a sort of um, instant dismissal that she had of him uh, because of his whole manner. And well, he called it, her a it, monkey. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Girls very... don't. Young girls don't take kindly that kind of language. Especially, <laughs> and he also made fun of her thing she was the most insecure about too. Right. It, so. Do a 180 on him pretty quickly, though. Yeah, I think she felt, she felt bad because it was he got lost in the mist. Mm, yeah, is that that's right? True. Yeah, so she kind of decided. I'm just tracking her to character development. <laughs> like she kind of decided that he was worth saving. Like that was maybe one of the first non-selfish things he did. Well, yeah, because I think at one point she threw him, unintentionally, she threw him under the bus, unintentionally, because um, she had something, like, she was trying to hide the spell book from uh, Madame, and she still had the piece of paper, which she was supposed to take to him to basically let Peter know he had to deliver something or bring something to the family, and that's what she hands to the Madame in order to hide the book, and so when she leaves to go home and they find out that she might have be something to do with the flower. They have a name to go after and take and capture to try and get to her. So she right. basically, without even really realizing she was doing it, was putting him in danger. And then she sees her family and all the people in the neighborhood being so worried about him because everybody likes him. And she's like, oh no. It's like, I, I really I messed up. Yeah. I really enjoyed that part of the movie actually when um, Madam, what's her name? comes like a sort of horrible ghost in a, in her room mm-hmm. and uh yeah returns that was that was cool stuff yeah it moved really quickly like even though we got that introduction like yeah. i had originally expected that maybe it would go through a couple acts of her just actually attending endor college and trying to continue mm-hmm. to be like the you know best kid in the class uh for just like a few more like scenes, but no, basically as soon as she leaves for the first time after getting her big introduction, they're already on to her. And then they basically have a, you know, have a kidnapping and give her an ultimate, an ultimatum. Which yeah. Is like, oh, well, this I, is why like, like, I am not going back there. <laughs> She's like, I'm not going back to that crazy place. No way. <laughs> like, Honestly, I would do the same if I was a kid. I'm like, man, I made it. I'm not getting in trouble again. Well, this is why I'm wondering whether Yonobayashi is actually interested in trying to be ultra-economic with mm, storytelling strokes. Mm-hmm. Because it's something that um, Miyazaki does masterfully. And for everyone, everyone always talks about how Miyazaki's very, uh, you know, his, his whole thing of enjoying the quiet moments and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is uh, remarkably good at economically telling stories and um, wasting very little time actually yeah. if yeah. you look at um, you know where he cut his teeth directing was um, was in TV uh, with uh, the series oh, wow. of Future Boy Conan Um and that has a lot of story to tell in, in 26 episodes. 
and Miyazaki just barrels through it. And, um, you know, uh, I think uh, it seems like that's something that Yonobayashi's interested in. He's interested in, you know, like kind of, kind of like you're saying, like not actually doing every obvious uh, development in the plot uh, that you would expect to see. But still trying to leave you with the same effect that it would have had, that it would have had anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think the film ends the way it does, with her very defiantly saying something which she probably thinks is very mature, because it's the same course as her aunt uh, has taken, you know, yeah. to abandon magic. Uh, and I think it's sort of meant to sort of you just sit with you a little bit. Um, so there's something interesting in there, and I, I'd really like to see the film again to see if anything changes in that regard. Yeah, totally. Any other uh, specific scenes or anything? Because I think we've we've talked a lot about you know the film at length, so I wasn't sure if we wanted. There's mm-hmm. any other scenes that we wanted to perhaps mention or bring to light, or if they think that we've we've pretty much talked about everything we can. Chris, was there anything else you wanted to? to add uh well i was going to say about i really like the uh sequence the like visibility sequence in the um in in the in in the magic school uh where the bit where mary goes invisible and that and the way they show that i thought that was that was really interesting. That was <laughs> like, a very in- interesting vision. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was ominous. It was like, oh, oh what is this power she has? It's not no, good. that was good. That was that was actually where it did feel a lot like, you know, I, I, I read Harry Potter when I was a kid and um, that sort of feeling where you weren't sure really who you should be trusting mm-hmm. or, or whether it was indeed completely magical or whether some parts were kind of dangerous and a bit uh yeah like you were saying on, on ominous and honestly it took me a while to realize she was cheating <laughs> like i was like oh wait yeah no totally cheating she's no idea what's doing this flower is like a makes her really op <laughs> <laughs> her magic like, stat is maxed out because like, I thought she was going to learn how to be a witch, but it was like, nah, she's totally flying by the seat of her pants. That was uh, actually kind uh, of funny. And yeah. the, whole, the whole fact they're like, oh yeah, and uh, trespassers get turned into something. Uh, so it's like, yeah, no wonder she's not coming back. Because <laughs> she's like, I don't want to <laughs> get found out. Smart kid. It's very smart kid. But overall... I do want to say that I I feel like you know we've we've picked a lot of holes and stuff uh, and I th- I think like some people might think we're coming off as overly negative but I know in my case at least I really did enjoy it it's mm-hmm. just you know we're, we're discussing it and talking about the ins and outs and everything and it uh you know the the good things are sort of oh yeah that's good uh, and it's um you know, it's easier really to pick up the things that maybe are, are a bit not so much but it is if you love Ghibli and you're disappointed that there's no more Ghibli for for a while at least then this does scratch that itch mm-hmm. 
and I was I was struggling for an analogy earlier, but I've come up with one. It's it's kind of like where there's a band you really like, and then one member of the band goes solo, and uh, they do so, they do still try and sound a bit the same as the old one, but they're they're a bit different. It's not quite the same, but you know it'll do. <laughs> it'll do for it'll still scratch that itch for you, and it still still feels familiar and nice and, and enjoyable. It's mm-hmm. just it's not. Not quite the same old tunes that you're used to, but yeah, and, and like we did, we discussed That's a perfect fire. analogy. Yeah, mm. there you're we go. I came mine. up with it last. Better than mine. I, I love your analogy of the slippers. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that too. I mean, yeah, it it is also a nice comfort movie too. Like, I definitely mm. recommend seeing it. Like, I'm not saying don't mm. see it. Like, you should totally see it. It's really nice. Uh, you know, it's just I guess because the expectations are high. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it has a lot of potential. Sometimes you tend to be more critical about things that, um, when, you know, stuff has like a reputation like that, mm. as opposed to something that's oh. coming out of nowhere and you're not really expecting anything from it. Definitely. Yeah. You know, um, I, I watched this, this movie, uh, in the week, uh, that's a few years old now called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Mm-hmm. It's about a master mm. sushi chef, uh, in Tokyo. <clears throat> and um, the film sort of concerns how his sons uh, are slowly helping take over the business and open their own sushi shops. And in the case of one son, uh, take over his father's flagship store. And um, one of his older colleagues uh, is talking in a talking head moment in the film. <clears throat> and he mentions, you know, if his son makes sushi that surpasses his father's, he'll only be seen as equal. Mm. And if he makes film, if he makes sushi which is uh, equal to his father's, he'll be seen as inferior. That's the sort of legacy that he has to live up to. Live up to. Wow. And. I feel maybe a similar way about Studio Ponok and, and Ghibli. Yeah. I mean, we've already had that with Goro Miyazaki. It was mm. a very yeah. thing, him, him being a director and his his struggles. But I think Yonobayashi is, is a better director than Goro Miyazaki, hands mm. down. I yeah. um, Poor Goro. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, oh. Goro. I, I'm rooting for you, Goro, but you just... Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> I, d- I do like from Up on Poppy Hill, though. I do, I do like that film. It's, it's much, it's much more um, uh, less. It's one of the. Uh, oh, it's a, it's a classic story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, I thought you were my brother, so you probably shouldn't be going out. Oh, it turns out we're not. Oh, that's fine then. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's one of Ghibli's. It's one of Ghibli's. <laughs> Uh, more slice of life ones, and it's. I really enjoyed that. I think uh, that is, yeah, that is a decent. That's a decent film. Um, he just maybe doesn't have it in him to do the full fantasy <laughs> <laughs> tales from Earthsea thing. What about that TV show he directed? Did you guys watch that? I never. Watched I it. watched I so. it, and it had severe pacing problems. Um where it had you know 10 minutes of story but it was each episode was about 20 minutes 
and the pacing was kind of glacial <laughs> and I really, really struggled uh, to get through it, unfortunately. Oh, dear. Sorry, Goro. Yeah, sorry. No, I know you just wanted to be a gardener or something. <laughs> they made you. <laughs> Isn't that the story? He's like, I want to be a landscape gardener. No. Yeah, he didn't yeah. want him going to be yeah. director. I know. But Miyazaki didn't want him to be a director either. Like during mm-hmm. the whole production of Earthsea, mm. Miyazaki Sr. did not speak to Goro once. That's the story I read. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What, what, is, what is absolutely fascinating is um, Goro Miyazaki did a blog whilst um, Tales from Earthsea was being uh, made, mm-hmm. uh, like a production diary. <clears throat> and it's very, very candid. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah, that might be an interesting read for anyone interested in that saga. Yeah, I remember his scene in the documentary The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness when he was talking about the TV show and just like how he left such an impression like when he was talking about like how he has to do this, like how he has no choice and like mm. he had such a bitter face and Aww. It was so. It, it was like really hard to watch. It was like, yeah. oh, oh, that's really sad. <laughs> Jeez. It is. Thankfully, you know, Ponak is very positive about what it's doing. So mm. yeah, nice. Yeah, and and actually, uh, the 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 other the co-founder of uh, Ponak uh, is he Nish- Nishimura? I think yeah. that might be the guy's name. Yes. Um, he's a very interesting guy too, and I think um, uh, in this in the sister documentary uh, for Kingdom of Dreams of Madness, uh, there was one uh, for that was mainly uh, focused around Takahata and the production of um, uh, Princess Kaguya, and uh, Nishimura's uh, scenes in that. Are a good insight into his philosophy, and um, I think it's a very positive one to to build a similar sort of studio uh, to Ghibli from. Mm. Awesome. Good luck yeah. to them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Like this, this movie has definitely, um, in 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 a in a sense, also whet my appetite for uh, something else that is uh, of this similar style, and that will be the the sequel to Nino Kuni, which will be coming out. Um, in March, I think it was like, like late March, and uh, which is uh, from what they're talking about, it's going to be a, a more mature kind of like the, the, this. Like if the Nino or original Nino Kuni was a bit uh, something like um, like a uh, uh, Mary and the Witch's Flower in terms of tone of having more of like a lighthearted uh, adventure tone with a little bit of darkness in there, um, this sequel is supposed to be a lot uh, more mature. So I'm really looking forward to that and just, just kind of like, I loved having this film be that kind of like springboard into that. So yeah, it's, if you have the opportunity to go see Mary and the Witch's Flower, you know, if you're a Ghibli fan or you're just a fan of any of one of the number of people that we mentioned on this podcast or more that were involved in this project, definitely go see this movie and support their work because they did absolutely phenomenal work in terms of making, bringing this movie to life and, We'll uh, support Studio Ponic in the future. So, um, double check and see what 
time it is. Um, did we want to do a quick water cooler before wrapping up today? Yeah, maybe if we just you know keep it to one sort of thing each. <laughs> yeah, I think that would that'd be beneficial since we've talked quite a bit about our uh, mm -hmm. main topic today. So yeah, I'll just uh, go ahead mm -hmm. and, and and kick us off then because uh, there was a film that I had an opportunity to see in the uh, interim in between the holidays. Uh, a film that was uh, previously discussed on this podcast, and I unfortunately had not had an opportunity to see by the time the episode came out for it, but I have had a chance to see it now, and um, I want to share just a few of my thoughts on it, um, and that was In This Corner of the World. I finally had an opportunity to see it, and I did enjoy it very much. There was, it was, it's interesting, like, I'm trying to find the right word to use for how my, like, my feelings on the film, because I'd definitely watch it again in a heartbeat, and I want to share it with as many people as possible because it's a film I think that should really be seen. But it's, it's disarming. It's a very disarming movie, at least because you look at the artwork and the, uh, the uh, character, um, character designs, and you have a certain expectation for the movie of what it's supposed to be about. And then it kind of just, it's, it becomes like, it seems like it's a very honest movie too, like in terms of depicting what's going on. I think, mm. I think, Dan, you were talking, I remember hearing when you were talking about the film yourself, I think remember hearing you say something very uh, roughly similar in regards to what was going on in this film. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I loved it. I, I, the thing I loved about it was because it has the shadow of, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the, the bomb mm -hmm. over it. Yeah. Uh, as, as the years count down and sort of lead up to it. But mm -hmm. what I love about it is that it really honors um, and examines and takes seriously uh, the p people's lives before then, almost regardless of that. And yeah, and even the spirit of, like, even before, like, the bomb falls, all the bombings mm -hmm. that happened prior to it, and just the, um, and the thing that impressed me, and the one reasons I want to share this movie is just the the spirit of, you know, of that time period, the Japanese people, you know, living in that time period and just that they're <laughs> going through so much hardship and just basically, you know, just still just going day after day after day of just trying to survive and staying strong through all those hardships was, it's, it's powerful. It's very powerful. And I think it's just a, something that I've always, like, I remember here uh, researching when, uh, in regards to learning about uh, Japan at that particular time, but not really getting a good solid picture an image in my mind what it could have looked like and this film provided that for me in a way it was interesting and i'm very super glad that i saw it yeah no it's a it's a really special film and i'm glad that people are still discovering it mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of um i've said this before but it's kind of like a sister film to me uh to um ethel and ernest mm, yeah yeah um, which was, I think it was technically eligible for an Oscar nomination this year. Yeah, because um, they but it doesn't seem to have December. picked. Yeah, but it doesn't seem, unfortunately, to have picked up any sort of awards buzz. Um, but, but it's yeah. worth hunting down if you can find it. Um, to get a, it's set in London during the Blitz, very sort of similar time, really, to uh, yeah. to the events of. Um, uh, in this corner of the world, but yeah, no, I think in, in this corner of the world has a really lovely humanity to it. And, um, it sort of, uh, it's very gently humorous. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and uh, yeah, like you said, sort of tenderly honest. You know, it doesn't shy away from difficult feelings uh, that you might have about um, your family or your loved ones or or lost loves, um, things like that. Things that sort of wouldn't necessarily uh, you would think uh, matter in in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. when uh, survival is is so tough. Uh, yeah but nonetheless are worth examining in a film and um yeah no it's 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 beautiful beautiful stuff it would also open up a opportunity because i after i saw the film and i had a chance to discuss it with family i actually had a really super uh interesting conversation with my mom because i remember hearing this story before when i was growing up i unfortunately never had an opportunity to meet uh my grandfather um uh my mother's father who actually, um, I forget what island he was on, but he was actually involved um, in World War, he was involved in World War II and was in Japan in the, in that particular, um, uh, I forget what the, what the term is, that, um, uh, I forget the term, the, the, that area of, you know, that time of the war, uh, that section, that, that yeah. part of the world. Um, uh, he was uh, injured and had to be removed from duty because of his injury. Um, he uh, got shot in the leg and, um, also shot in the head. It was just basically like I still have. I think the family still has uh, the helmet, his war helmet, where you saw the bullet hole. Wow, um, that's incredible. Where like it, it didn't actually like enter his head. It just like they like, skimmed off the top of it. But he like my family like that was we were that I was that close to not existing. <laughs> but it just yeah, it, wow. And, and it was interesting to hear like at least from my mother's point of you know her telling me what he would tell her when he was recounting his time fighting in the war, at least in his, um, his perception of the, the Japanese people that he was, you know, the, that, you know, the people he was fighting. Um, and I don't know exactly when, like in terms of his overall opinion of um, their culture, or anything, cause I'm not sure how much he knew, but one thing that will always stay to me to this day that I think of, I remember in terms of their, the, their resolve is the fact that he was absolutely, he was convinced up at least up to a certain point that they would not have been able, well, you know, the United States would not have been able to triumph over Japan because of the fact that they, you know, the, these were the same people who were, you know, you know, the kamikaze pilots and like, they don't, they don't care if they die as long as they are serving the will of their country and the will of the people. And while you get a sense of like, at least in that, like, you know, he only experienced the, um, you know, the, that kind of spirit on the battle, you know, on the battlefield, it's another thing entirely to have a window or a look into that kind of, that same spirit, exact same spirit, but on a quieter, you know, you know, these are just people living at home, but that spirit's still the same. And that's just something I really, I, I wanted to take away from the movie. And just the fact that it kind of gave me a much broader scope of what my, what my grandfather was talking about. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth looking into. Um, I was in Hiroshima last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very sweet to see how um, how warmly they had sort of adopted the film and the manga from which it's adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was everywhere in Hiroshima. And um, if the story interests you, um, I believe the manga has a little bit more in it than the film. Oh. Uh, I think the film adapts selected parts of the manga, perhaps. Um, and also, um, just <laughs> really going very off topic, um, something which isn't really discussed uh, 
uh, but was the story which I um, I was fascinated to learn uh, in Hiroshima is the rebuilding of the city. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, which is uh, very, very inspiring and speaks absolutely, uh, as you're saying, Rachel, like to that spirit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really super glad I got to see uh, in this corner of the world and I'm definitely going to watch it again and uh, see if I can get as many people, I, you know, not just my family. I think my mom, uh, after our conversation, actually expressed interest. She didn't watch it with me originally, but I think she expressed interest in uh, watching that as well at some point and I hope to share it with her and many other people who would be interested in watching it. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Chris, did you want to do your, we'll go, we'll kind of go in a a virtual circle. (laughs) I, I will, I'll keep it relatively short uh, because I've, I've watched quite a bit since uh, last time we did the water cooler section, but I won't go into all of it. Uh, uh, Like for example, I have watched, yes, all of Devilman Crybaby, which you can read the review of, and we are planning on talking about in some detail, but we want to save till we've all seen it and we so we can have basically a, a full spoilers discussion because you need to. Yeah, you, you really um, need to. Possible. Yeah. I, yeah, I, if you wanted a little preview, you can read my review. Uh, that's about all I can say without going into too much detail um but i've also been watching a little show called dragon ball super been watching some more of that uh (laughs) heading towards a new review coming up this week and i just wanted to say it's funny the way in dragon ball super this stuff that in so many other series would be considered filler is actually the best bit um which is like the um sitcom-y soapy episodes of just the characters doing random stuff and not because you, you've got like the big storylines that are adapted from the movies so you've got the battle of the gods and you've got um resurrection f but then you've got the episodes where vegeta goes to a theme park or <laughs> um or um Pic- piccolo's being a babysitter or um... <laughs> and becoming a better babysitter than uh chi chi resident mother hen of the goku family it's like even piccolo outshines her in baby in taking care of a small child it's just like wow well goku's trying to be a farmer and it's just obviously if you know as long as you love and care about the characters and everything it's great farmer Uh, under protest and it's it's just yeah it's just because the characters have been built up so well over the years is that you you could just enjoy spending time with them it's i think we talked about it before mm-hmm. in the way that people have said like with the marvel movies with the, the characters and the avengers you'd kind of just watch a sitcom with them <laughs> arsing around for a bit and you kind of get a bit of that with with super in in between the big action sequences and everything which which are still fun obviously and mm-hmm. and well done and everything but yeah if if you're not watching dragon ball super and you love dragon ball then you should be watching dragon ball super because it, yeah. it's it's great <laughs> it's lovely dan was so, there anything did you want to uh contribute to the water cooler this week I've been watching Prop Team Epic and it's brilliant and it's hilarious and it's stupid. Are you watching the sub or the dub? Because I heard the dub is actually very good. 
do you know what? I've heard the same, and I've only been watching the sub. I've been watching. I haven't been watching both versions, you know, because it has one version with male voices and one version with female voices. Hmm. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it's. I was not. It's a it's a joy because <laughs> the characters are the same. The characters are these like sort of. I guess they're meant to be schoolgirls. Um, uh, and there is one version where they're voiced by uh, sort of like very anime style, you know, voices as you would expect. And then there's one where they're sort of voiced by these gruff guys. <laughs> and both versions are hilarious. Um, there's a lot of talk about it being sort of like a meme based kind of thing. It's very random, but I've got to say, if you if you're familiar with things like Monty Python, uh, Tim and Eric, it's quite a natural progression from mm. from that sort of style of humour, just completely off off the wall, very fast paced, and yeah, it's a really fun, stupid cartoon, and I really recommend it. <laughs> I I think I read. That the reason they there is a version with male voices is basically because it's it's like a, a four panel comic originally, isn't it? That's what it's adapted yeah. from. Yeah, um, I think there was like a joke in the original comic about oh, if they did an anime, we'd want to be voiced by, and they like named like two high profile Japanese male voice actors. No way, and oh, they got them man. to do it, but I. I've heard that what they're doing on with the Funimation simul dub is they're um, having different voice actors for each episode, so they're getting all the like all the main actors from the Funimation stable to have a go at doing it. Huh. So. That sounds fun. That's brilliant. But yeah, it's it's there's no story, and it's <laughs> just dumb sketches, and it's it's a laugh. I recommend it. <laughs> awesome. And Nina, how about you? How about you close out? What would you? Uh, would you have a chance to watch this week? Well, I've also been watching anime, so that's we're all in the same boat. I've been finally watching My Hero Academia. Um, I haven't watched it before. I just I don't know. I like after watching Devil Man three times, I need something <laughs> more. Something nicer. Yeah, like something more fun and, 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 and heartwarming and sweet. And also like, you know, the Crunchyroll um, awards nominations came out and I just realized how behind I was on everything. So I just figured I'd start there. Mm-hmm. And I've been really enjoying it. It's fun. You know, it's a really solid shonen. It's a little sh- slow to get started like most shonen are. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, I, I really love the protagonist. He's such a sweet, good boy. And I want to see him win. And... I just, I'm, I'm starting, I really do like a lot of the characters and it, it's a lot of fun. And I've actually been watching the dub, which is quite solid, I have to say. It's it been really cool. is. It really, truly is. I um, I was actually really super surprised because I remember when I was first uh, watching the dub, I mean, I guess I wasn't really surprised. I, I was really surprised by, much more by uh, Deku's uh, dub actor than, um, than, uh, say, all, for example, All Might, because I hear Christopher Sabat's voice coming like, oh, you know what? That makes yeah. sense. I just enjoy perfect. Yeah. yeah, like that's perfect casting right there. Um, but Deku's actor, I was happy I, to hear, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I was happy to hear Luke Christensen again. Um, it's been a while since she's been in stuff, and it, it's, she's great as Uduraka. Like, it's like, oh, <laughs> such a, I love 
princess tutus. So it's like, oh my God, it's a duck, but back. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. All, all the cast members are great. And I remember that it was interesting with the, the Deku's actor though, because I remember the first time I've ever heard, I heard his voice. It wasn't, I, I probably heard him in some kind of other anime, like a mother Funimation uh, dub. He might've been in but like a, either a minor role or something, or maybe I just can't think of any other actor of you know, anime he's been in because he's probably been in a whole bunch that I just can't think of right now but I felt yeah. like the first time I really recognized his voice was um he was doing a role in the uh with a team four star um the guys who abridged uh to Dragon Ball Z um they're doing a uh, another abridged a machine abridged uh series on uh Final Fantasy 7 and he's playing Cloud oh. and it's hilarious oh. it's absolutely hilarious that sounds so, like a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. If you're familiar with, um, if you're a big fan of, uh, of Final Fantasy VII, like the classic Final Fantasy VII, you'll love this abridged series because it loves, it pokes holes at all the different, like, problems that Final Fantasy VII does have, but doesn't really, it, it's not mocking the game in any sort of fashion. It's just poking fun at it. Is that basically, the Team Four Star is really super good at it. They poke fun but they don't like say like, oh, this is really stupid. Like, or this series yeah. doesn't make any sense. They're, it's they're very, yeah, it's it's out of love because they love Final Fantasy VII, they love Dragon Ball Z, and they know exactly the right way how to write the jokes in order to both fun and honor it. You know, make make fun and honor it at the same time. And just it's hilarious hearing like Deku have his freak outs, and I'm just like, oh, Cloud's having a freak out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every everybody brings their a. a- game and it, it's it's very fun i mean it, it's been a while since i watched a a, a dub so mm-hmm. it's just like you know what let's, let me watch the dub let's let's it's a shonen if there's ever a time this is the time and i'm and, you know i'm excited to see where it goes season two um i've i've uh fully caught up because i'm a if, if people have listened to my on this podcast before i am i basically just that's one of my preferred uh, genres of anime is shonen. And I know that's not really saying much because shonen is basically, you could basically say it's like the same thing over and over again. But I really do like the way I have um, My Hero Academia that approaches the shonen genre or how it, you know, captures like the quid, the, the core of what makes a shonen is shonen. My Hero Aka's got it in spades. Very much so. Yeah. Like, on it, like I was when I first started, I was like honestly like Whiplash. I was like, oh, Shonen! Oh my god, it's been such a long time. <laughs> oh, flashbacks every five minutes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> thirteen again. But no, it, it's it's good, and and Studio Bones is so so polished. The they know what they're doing. They know what they did. They know what they're doing. So mm. good. Looking forward to that Netflix series. <laughs> Definitely. But I, I I do look forward to hearing your uh, thoughts once you get further further in season two because that's I think season two made a lot more uh, significant strides in order to oh, se- make make yeah. it stand out as opposed to even other shonen series in terms of how it handles stuff like a tournament arc or um, training you know a training arc with a, a quirky mentor and stuff like you know things we have seen before but I like the way they handled them. It felt yeah. Season two is definitely way more solid than season one because like mm-hmm. it, there's more momentum. Like we we we're, we've already reached the momentum. Like we're we're chugging along, and so mm-hmm. it's been a lot more fun than the first one. I have to say, definitely pacing pacing has picked up a lot, quite a bit, and it's very much so. 
has not dropped. Has not dropped. We'll see if we'll see if season three continues that, since I know they've already announced the um, the third season uh, when that's uh, expected to air. But uh, it's just you know, fingers crossed that it, it 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 is able to continue the momentum if the way that they're releasing it is a- allowing them the time to properly uh, present the uh, the manga material because they I don't even think they've even had a, a moment of actually including any type of filler yet. There was one episode of filler, but it was fun mm-hmm. filler. The, the episode about the internships where it's like, meanwhile, what has everyone else been doing? Apparently oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. But I was fine with it because it's like, I love these knuckleheads. So, <laughs> Knuckleheads they are indeed, but they are lovable. All right. I think that pretty much wraps up today's episode. So once again, thank you so much for joining us and our discussion about Mary and the Witch's Flower and a bunch of other animation topics. Uh, if you are looking to continue listening to a previous episode of the podcast, if this is your first time tuning in, um, feel free to check out the podcast tab and take a look at our episodes there. Or we, you can also find us on podcast.com, on iTunes, and also on Stitcher. And on Google Plus, Google Plus, we're also on Google Plus. I'm sorry. That we always, uh, there's always one of those that always just kind of flies on the red, like, oh, I'm trying to remember every one. And it's like, oh, I just missed one. But uh, yeah, just... Feel free, if whatever your listening preference, you can find our episodes on all those different platforms and take a listen on another episode that suits your fancy. If you are wanting to keep up with our website in general, you know, we are on, we're always on uh, social media. We have a Facebook page, Twitter, uh, Twitter handle at uh, AFA blog. We have a Instagram, you know, Instagram page, Tumblr, and Pinterest. And if you want to follow us individually, we'll go ahead and round the uh, group and just where we can follow us individually on social media. Chris, where we, can we find you? Uh, Mr. Christor on Twitter. All right. Dan? You can find me on Twitter at Hamu. Nina? You can find me on Twitter at Ichi. Very good. And you can also find me, I'm primarily on Twitter at Fail2Ninja. And as always, I would like to encourage anyone of our listeners who are wanting to give us some feedback on our podcast, any specific episodes or topics you would like to discuss, you know, feel free to use any form of those social media to let us know your thoughts, feelings, and ideas about what you would like to see from this podcast and from the website as well. We're always looking for feedback. If you want to support us in creating new content, we have a Patreon page, which we'll leave a link in the show notes, or you, if you uh, just go ahead and make a donation through PayPal. And there's also a little handy site called Ko-fi where you can go ahead and buy us a virtual cup of coffee in order to support the website and its various upcoming projects that we have in mind for 2018. All right. I'm forgetting. Am I forgetting anything, Chris? I don't think so. No. Oh, no, wait, it just came back to me. All right. Um, sorry about that. Um, as always, I want to also voice a shout out for animation nights, New York. If you are a, independent uh, short filmmaker and you would like to submit your short film, we will leave a link to the Animation Nights New York uh, webpage in the show notes. And they also have a little, um, they do uh, submissions via Film Freeway. Is that right, Nina? Yes, we do. Yes. Um, There's a link on the webpage itself. So we'll go ahead and leave that for the show notes if you want to follow that and submit your short film because they're always looking for new short films to have for their monthly screenings. So please support, continue to support Animation Nights New York as well. Thank you so much for joining us, all of our loyal listeners and new and potential newcomers, and we will see you next time on the next episode of the Animation for Adults podcast. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.